Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. My name is Worth. If you are new, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If not, welcome back. We are a different kind of church for West Seattle, one that meets together in large gatherings and in house churches that we call kinfolk groups. You can check out our upcoming schedule on the front page of our website. Kinfolk groups meet each Sunday to watch the weekly message, to fellowship and pray, take communion together, be the life of the body of Christ. So click through to our Kinfolk Groups page to get in touch with the host of the group and get more details. We are gathering in homes today and next week on October 24th, we'll be at our main church campus here in West Seattle at 4400 42nd Avenue Southwest, just one block east of Hotwire Coffee uh, for our whole church worship gathering. And after that, we're back in our homes at our Kinfolk Groups until our next worship gathering later in November. So come be a part of our tribe where we are the church on purpose, intentionally, week in and week out, a church that's in, of, and for West Seattle. A couple of weeks ago, we launched our middle school youth group and family nights. Uh, our next middle school night is this coming Wednesday, October 20th. This program takes place every other week this fall and into December on Wednesday nights from 6 p.m. until 7.15. You show up at 6 p.m. with your whole family and grab dinner here, it's on us. Uh, middle school youth will break off at about 6.20 p.m. and head over to their own space in our social hall for fun activities and a time of discipleship. Adults, you can hang out as long as you like for a time of fellowship uh, in our gym, but in the future we're going to have some short courses on how to build a culture of following Jesus at home with your family that we know will benefit you and that you will greatly enjoy. So you can let us know in advance if you are coming with your family by RSVPing on our middle school page on our website or through our app. We hope to see you there. Last but not least, for you folks watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe as well as hit the like icon below. This will really help out our channel. So we're getting towards the end of our series on Galatians, and we have talked about this group of Gentile believers who are being tempted or manipulated, kind of coerced, to convert to Judaism as part of, their ex uh, of them accepting Christ in their lives. They are from a region called Galatia, which doesn't really have a place for religious outsiders. And Paul basically says, are you even kidding me? If you accept this, it means that you are accepting a different gospel than the authentic one that you originally believed in. You cannot be justified or exonerated from all the bad in your life. You, ca you cannot be made right and set free by obeying parts of the Jewish law that make you Jewish. This is utter nonsense. You either trust in the love of God expressed in and through Jesus, or you don't. That's all there is. The law these guys want you to follow is only acting as a guardian to help them get from point A to point B until they grew up. But if you're grown up in Christ Jesus and you understand why he came to do what he did, then the law is just another system of oppression at this point. It's a babysitter at this point that you no longer need. Yeah, it's got some wisdom and good instruction in it, but if you've learned its ways by following Jesus, who lived them out perfectly, then you don't need the law as a babysitter anymore. It, if, if you haven't already, I encourage you to go back and check out last week's message because it's the setup for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and that's where we're at right now, just leaving off from where we left off last week. There's this large section of scripture that runs from Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, all the way to 5, verse 6, where Paul gives even more explanations about what God was up to way back in Abraham's day that was leading up to what Jesus has done. So we're going to skim through these sections, but I encourage you to read the whole thing on your own. Maybe you want to pause and do that right now. But we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 4, 
verse 8, which says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? So here, Paul is talking to this group of Romans, and he's like, Before you started worshiping Adonai, the God of Israel, you knew what it was like to be enslaved to structures of oppressive power, to sit under a system that claims to be God, but in reality is nothing of the sort. So why would you even want to go and like backpedal from Jesus into these structures and rules of Judaism? Those rules and systems will not get you where you want to be. They are a lie. God's story what he's been up to in the world is not built upon that, but upon a promise he made long ago. And so Paul goes on from there. He says, halfway through verse 9, Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So here Paul is saying that they are now obsessed with these Jewish days and months and seasons, much like the Romans are obsessed with their Roman holidays, etc. It's a newfound knowledge set that they're becoming devoted to and obsessed with. He's like, look, I know you came from this pagan system of deities, so don't swap that for one system of oppression for another. That's just idiotic. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you because become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And this is just Paul basically saying to them, I met you where you were at when I first brought the gospel to you. Now, you know, I came to you. Now you come meet me in the center. Meet me halfway. Then he says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as as Christ Jesus. What then has your has become of your blessedness. For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Well, this tells us that it looks like the whole reason this group even got to know Paul in the first place was because he was forced to stay with them because he got sick in his travels. But he then says that they were great and they treated him wonderfully. But now he's like, what happened? Why have you changed so much? Why are you treating me like an enemy to you? All I'm doing is retelling you the original message about Jesus that I gave you the first time. And you accepted it back then, but now you won't? Well, let's move on to verse 17. It says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of. And that's a phrase, to be made much of, that means... Uh, zealous. Paul says, it's good to be zealous for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, verse 19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Well, at the beginning of that section, the they Paul is talking about here is the group from Jerusalem that we talked about a few weeks ago that has come up to the region of Galatia and is adding to the gospel by telling these Galatian Christians, these Theosebes, that they need to convert first. Paul's like, look, this group is very zealous for you, but only for their own means. It means they want to win you to their side. So he's nudging them to think, now, why would they want to do that? Why And why would we want to believe them? 
And then he says he would change his tone. This is a first century way of laying the smack down on them. He's basically saying, man, if I were with you in person, I would let you have it. If you, if you, um, if he was here today, he'd be on TikTok or Instagram. He'd be raging against them with hashtags and memes and sarcastic gifs. Uh, this is a good point really to stop and point out the tone of this letter. Sometimes when we read our Bible, it's like, reading an email or text someone has sent you and you're wondering what they meant when they because of what they said you're reading it and you're thinking it might come off like what they wrote as if they are judgmental or entitled or you're not sure if they're uh, happy or maybe sarcastic or angry or something like that and it's a little bit confusing for how to reply because you're not sure of the tone so paul says hey in case you're wondering I'm mad. I'm really mad. I am not happy with you all, you idiotic Galatian rednecks. I worked my keister off to defend the gospel and bring it to you. It is only by faith in Jesus alone that you are made free. Nothing else can be added to that. Now, it's at this point that Paul is going to do something very polished, very uh, rabbinical. He's doing a dive back into the Old Testament again to use it as a parable to help them understand what he's talking about more clearly. For us, though, it kind of just muddies the waters. And we're like, what? Why is he saying all this? So and we're going to go through it in case you don't understand what he's referring to. A few weeks back, we examined how Paul has been arguing from the Old Testament passage in Genesis 15. It's the most famous part of that passage is where it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's entire point, his whole argument has been based on that verse. What he does next uh, for us in Genesis, is in Genesis 15 is kind of use it as a story template. He creates a stage and puts characters on it so that he can tell this parable. But let's get a little more, a little more understanding on the background of Genesis 15 first. In this chapter, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm your shield. I'm your shield and your great reward. And Abraham says, I think that's a load of bull. And I'll tell you why. You promised me kids, but I don't have any kids yet. My descendants are going to have to come through my servant. And in Hebrew, Abraham says to God, it, it's all smoke and mirrors, man. Smoke and mirrors. Prove it to me. And so in the Hebrew, God's response is kind of crickets. He doesn't respond. In other words, in Hebrew, God stays silent. It's not that there isn't dialogue from God in response in the Hebrew. It's that the Hebrew says God doesn't answer him. God doesn't want to answer Abraham's question. And Abraham's like, uh, I'm still here. Are you going to say anything? Because I'm still here and I'm listening. And God finally says, it's going to happen. Your descendants will come through you, not through your servant, Eleazar. But then Abraham takes that information that God gives him and says, yeah, it's going to happen. Abraham takes that and he messes up his whole story, which is totally unlike you and me, right? <laughs> and what I mean by that is sometimes you probably don't want God to answer your questions because if he did answer your questions, you might take his answer and then mess up his plan for your life because you think you know what to do in your own strength. So Abraham, in all his infinite wisdom, with his limited view, he sees his wife Sarah and he knows that she's barren and he thinks, aha, by Jove, I've got it. Sarah, what do you think about this? And so Abraham and Sarah decide that he should sleep with Hagar, Sarah's servant, to fulfill God's promise. So he does, and he has a son named Ishmael. And Abraham got that son through what's called the flesh, through natural means. Abraham acquired that son by his own power, in other words, because of his finite understanding. So, by the way, when Paul uses the phrase in the New Testament, 
when he uses the phrase through the flesh or in the flesh, what he means is that you have ignored how God wants you to accomplish something and you have chosen to seek out the ends by your own means. In other words, under your own power. That's what he means. So in other words, Abraham believes he knows what God wants him to do and he takes things into his own hands. But God comes to Abraham and he's like, dude, come on, what did you do? My plan from the beginning was that you would have a son with Sarah. So finally, Abraham and Sarah do have a son through God's miraculous power, not through Abraham's power and devising. So Abraham now has two sons, a son of the flesh and a son of promise. And this is going to provide the blueprint for a parable that Paul's going to tell. So starting in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, Paul begins to spin this tale, this yarn, by first telling his readers about Abraham and Sarah trying to have kids. And he explains in verse 23 that Ishmael is a son of the flesh, while Isaac is born of promise. And then he elaborates on that in the next section up to verse 31. And this takes us back to the diagram from last week. I want to show that to you again. So remember the Sinai covenant down at the bottom, Paul says there's this group that thinks their justification comes from this that happened at Mount Sinai. That's what makes them children of God. But Paul says that if they are under that impression, that's what's going to enslave them because to live under that structure is oppressive. So Paul is telling this parable and he says that the whole system is represented by Hagar in the parable. And then he lays it out for them in verse 28 when he says, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And it's the same thing now. In other words, Galatians 4.28, is, that's, that verse, by the way, is referring to Genesis 21. And that's the part where Sarah, see, in the story of Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael, she sees Ishmael teasing and making fun of Isaac. So what Paul is saying is, to, to these Galatians, he's saying the same exact thing is going on now that was going back then. You are like Isaac, and the circumcision party that has come to the church in Galatia to coerce you to convert, they are like Ishmael. And then Paul drives home his point in, in chapter 5. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. In other words, don't buy into the lie. If you follow the covenant of Sinai, you will not be a part of what God is doing now. In fact, you're going to be cut off from Christ and his, and his gospel of grace. Don't buy into a covenant of the flesh. It is, you have been set free for freedom. And then Paul finally wraps up this section with this small, simple reminder, a reminder that I think we need to be reminded of all the time. He says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything but only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. So if you're watching this out there and you know that you fall into this Gentile group, it is for freedom that you have been set free. So have faith that works 
through love. Well, that's enough for today. Let's wrap this up with a few uh, challenges and implications before we move on next week. The first one would be this. You have to get rid of the covenant of flesh. Literally, what this means for us is we have to stop trying to to earn righteousness through what we talked about a few weeks ago, through works of the law, the Miskat Maaseha Torah, like surfacey rules and regulations that don't get down to the heart level understanding of God's grace. There is no amount of rule following that saves you. Only faith in Christ saves you. Walking the path of Christ is our loving response to the grace God gives us, even though we don't deserve that grace. So don't put on any covenant of the flesh because it's oppressive and it will enslave you. Don't make deals with God about how good you'll be if he'll only whatever, fill in the blank. I mean, we make a multiplicity of covenants of the flesh all the time, don't we? Like maybe for some of you, it's a certain belief structure or denominationalism or the church I'm a part of has to have the exact same precise beliefs as me. Like I'm not going to go to that church or be a part of that church unless they believe the exact same way as I do on this or on this or on this or on this. Or for others of you, maybe your covenant of flesh is your experience or education or knowledge. Maybe you want to be known for the diplomas on your wall. Maybe for some of you, you have a list of accomplishments that you like to check off in your life. And if you get all those checked off, then you're good. This is what I mean by covenant of flesh. Paul says, let them go. And remember that God is after your heart. To think things like this make you more eligible to stand in the family of God or that these things, doing these things, these covenants of the flesh somehow get you more premier access to God. That just makes them what they are, covenants of flesh, a system that will entrap you. We have to get rid of those so that, and this is implication number two, we can be born of the promise. Covenants of the flesh get in the way of the promise. Paul says to these Galatian Christians, if you let yourself be circumcised, you are severed from what God is doing. Don't forsake the promise, the promise that in and through Jesus, you are made right. You are made free. You are saved and you have a seat at the table. Don't you just love that? I mean, I love this idea that in a moment we're going to hold up a piece of bread and a cup of juice in our hands. And when we do that in communion, the Eucharist, we are all holding the same piece of bread, the body of Christ, and the same cup of juice, the blood of Christ. And in that moment, there is no slave, nor free, no Jew, nor Gentile, no male, nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus, as Paul puts it. In that moment, all across the world, as people are taking communion, And remembering Jesus, they're not forgetting him. In that moment, you have rocket scientists and Nobel Prize winners and master coders and 10-year-old kids and politicians and thieves and adults and grandparents and children, engineers and garbage men and CEOs and prisoners, Ivy League valedictorians and high school dropouts. And in that moment, they are one because this is what the gospel does. This is the good news. It gets rid of the covenants of the flesh and helps us become born of the promise. The last point is this. Gentiles, you are set free for the purpose of carrying the covenant of promise in freedom. So carry it well. Carry it well.
you don't have a barbecue and just sit there by yourself. You throw a backyard barbecue party so you can invite others in and they can see what your God is like. Your freedom isn't just for you. Let's pray. God, freedom is such a hard idea, a hard concept for us to grasp because it's so much easier to find a system that we would try to live up to. And yet we would spend our whole lives, Father, living with guilt and shame and insecurities because no matter what system we choose, we can't live up to it. And we carry all this baggage around because of it, a covenant of flesh, and that was never your intention. Father, may we believe and trust in your beautiful gospel of love and grace. May we drop the baggage and walk in faith, trusting in your promise. May we stop trying to earn our place at the table and trust you and become children of your promise. May we know, God, what it means to be free because you have set us free. And may we pass on that freedom to others. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.